Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you! Welcome home. Hi, John Junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. Why do you sound so down? <laughs> well, I was going to start us off on a somber note that Halloween is over, but Halloween lives in our hearts all the year round, and that's what matters. But it's a little sad when October ends. It is, it, it, you know, but like you said, it is always October in this household. It is always um, October, yes. Got Haunted Mansion over here. We've mm-hmm. got Ouija board. We got Vampire. Uh, Pennywise. Yeah. It's always spooky season in this house. It, it is. It is. But yeah. I don't know. It's a little sad though when it's over. So we've kind of done this tradition on genre junkies. And I guess we're, we're I, I don't know. I think we should like make it official. I think we should make it canon that November is always two fantasy books. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a nice little thing for me to... <laughs> recover <laughs> yeah i mean we we i love i i love horror and i love the horror books that we read but we always kind of go a little hard in october we do two horror back to back yeah though these ones these ones didn't test you like some horror has no not at all these went down pretty easy and i mean you had me skip the the hmm. third horror book yeah we're uh, gonna we're gonna save that we're gonna yeah. save that okay uh anything you want to share with the class I have a share. We've been really busy doing all of our stuff and we're a little behind. We're still trucking through what we do in the shadows. Not quite done yet. We Absolutely are savoring it. it. Savoring it. And we started Midnight Mass. Oh, yeah. And that one's... Hmm. All I want to do is watch Midnight Mass. It's all I want to do. So Midnight Mass is, um, so far, I think we're two episodes in. Two or three? Yeah. Um, it's hard. Four? The episodes feel very long. <laughs> <laughs> the episodes feel very long to me um, because, I mean, it's, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing no. at all. Um, it's very good. It's a very rich uh, world yes. that they've created. Um, it's very Catholic forward. Yes. Which is fun in some respects as someone who was raised Catholic and also a little bit. Um, weird a little bit to process maybe (laughs) yeah um seeing it kind of reflected back at you a certain way um this is a mike flanagan joint long live the flanny i love him so much and yeah his his episodic things they are so it's just like a really good short story where it's just it's that rich and dense and there's a lot going on and a lot of character but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like he's shoehorned all this stuff in and it's like a mess, you know? God, I just love him and I always look so forward to the stuff he makes. Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It has, you know, the the, the tone of it is is kind of unique. Yeah, it, you know, very unique. It's it's definitely worth checking out. Um, also, if you are curious about Halloween Kills... We reviewed that on Spooky Summer Party. It's hey, don't say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't say that because now people won't listen. And if you have seen it, um, say it with me one time. Evil dies tonight. Evil Die dies tonight. tonight. Evil, Evil dies tonight. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about today's book, which is... <laughs> I'm like, I don't mean for it to be so dramatic. Let's talk about today's book. T.J. Clune's 
The House in the Cerulean Sea. Linus Baker leads a quiet, solitary life. At 40, he lives in a tiny house with a devious cat and his old records. As a caseworker at the department in charge of magical youth, he spends his days overseeing the well-being of children in government-sanctioned orphanage. When Linus is unexpectedly summoned by extremely upper management, he's given a curious and highly classified assignment. Travel to Marseilles Island Orphanage, where six dangerous children reside, a gnome, a sprite, a wyvern, an unidentifiable green blob, a were-pomeranian, and the Antichrist. Linus must set aside his fears and determine whether or not they're likely to bring about the end of days. But the children aren't the only secret the island keeps. Their caretaker is the charming and enigmatic Arthur Parnassus, who will do anything to keep his ward safe. As Arthur and Linus grow closer, long-held secrets are exposed, and Linus must make a choice. Destroy a home or watch the world burn. I don't, I don't know if Kloon wrote that synopsis. It's a little funny. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliantly written, and... um. I, don't, I mean, I don't think you need anything more to know that you need to read this book. Cue credits. <laughs> Bye, everybody. This book, what a solve for anything that ails you. Oh, my God. So this is our first, both of us, our first TJ Clune. And um, I've heard rave things about his writing and about how um, kind and beautiful and tenderhearted his writing is. And then this book, people were telling you know, everybody that would listen, this is a hug for your soul. And I was like, well, that sounds really nice for Scott because, (laughs) um, because of just having to go through so much horror. And he's like, he gets kind of, he gets kind of emotional listeners. He gets, sometimes he takes the, the genres a little bit to heart, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a joke that I was like, oh, perfect. I'll give him this warm, squishy book like as this like little gift like here you go read this now but oh my god it's so much more than that it is so much more than that it is so much more than that uh, i'm going to start with my experience score i think we're going to be on the same page uh, i'm scoring it as obsession um I, and i feel like obsession doesn't even capture uh what this book <laughs> meant to me yeah. f- for reading it um it it feels like what you want to walk out of a therapy session feeling. You know what I mean? You, you have this idea of like, oh, you know, I go to therapy and I should come out like feeling happy. And it's, it's almost like a recharge for the week. And that's not what therapy always not is. Al- not always. But I I, I I, feel like if if I could read a book like this every day, I'd be in a better place. <laughs> I know what you mean. So this is an absolute obsession for me as well. Um, it's like it's one of those where you just want to gush and gush and gush um it's definitely a contender for my favorite read of the year let's just leave it at that um you know we got it sometimes you got to give a little distance before you pick your favorite book Uh, of the year uh, for sure but i always like to name what could be a contender and this is definitely a contender so this is like a book that is for adults but you could read this to children yeah Oh, yeah. There's very little in it that would be problematic to read to a young reader. But at the same time, it's like a 416-page novel (laughs) written for adults. Yes. So you know what I mean? But it gives you that 
feeling of like reading a children's book. It gives you that feeling. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we, we've talked about, and there's lots of discussion about YA versus adult versus middle reader and all that kind of stuff. And, and I understand why, why having some labels like that can be helpful. This, this book is, this book makes you feel like you did as a 12 year old discovering, I don't know. Harry Potter. Yeah, I don't. Harry Potter that was amazingly written by anonymous by, no one by nobody it just came into existence <laughs> but yeah it is it is that it's that feeling and 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 at the same time it's so much more yes I want to say it's going to be difficult to talk about parts of the tone mm-hmm. without going into the spoiler section yes um because the the tone of this book is part is is part of what makes it special and is also a little spoilery if that makes sense yeah um it just made me happy it made me very happy too i absolutely want to gift this book to a lot of people Mm -hmm. out there um i i mean this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit as we work through this but I would say it is the 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 massest oh grand mass appeal without question. If there ever was a mass appeal book um, that we reviewed, this this earns that. I that I badge. challenge you to not be utterly charmed and just taken with this book. And um, I we didn't listen to it at all, either of us on audio. But I'm very curious what the audio book is like because I imagine it would be lovely to hear as an audio book. I am going to be purchasing that today and i should also really stress this book is so funny it is hilariously funny it is dry it is so dry british humor (laughs) um and it is like it is like a hug for your soul but it's not emotional it's not like emotionally manipulative or saccharine gross or anything like that because i don't like that stuff yeah i don't and i don't um I laugh out loud at books, usually like max one time per book, like actually <laughs> uncontrollably laughing out loud. Yeah. I, I laugh internally plenty. Uh, this book had me rolling yeah. at points, just uh, just constant laughing, immediate highlights, of course. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I This was another one where I slowly realized, oh, sweet God, I'm highlighting the entire novel and I'm going <laughs> to stop. Um, so TJ Clune uses he, him pronouns. Um, TJ Clune, while not an imaginary creature as far as we know, he is human, but this, bu- <laughs> but this book is here is own voices because TJ identifies as queer and there's a very queer element to this book. Um, absolutely breathtaking. I oh, We've talked about this a lot, especially with Shauna McGuire's Wayward Children books, that, you know, you can't change everyone's heart. You can't make everybody accepting and you know, compassionate for others and for differences. But sometimes if like a piece of media could change like one person's heart, then that's like worth it, right? Um, this is a type of book where I I think it would open people's eyes and minds and hearts to differences. I I agree. Um the the 
the queer representation in this book. I mean, I will say that I don't think that it is uh, TJ's responsibility to change hearts. No. And so I will start by saying that I think it's beautiful, the representation that is in here. And for people who are queer and are looking for, you know, queer characters in books, this is beautiful. Yes. That said, yeah, that said, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, it's just so loving and touching and beautiful that I do feel like this is the kind of story that can also change hearts. It And it should. It should. If you know anybody whose heart is a little hard, get them into the Cerulean Sea. <laughs> um, the, I just, I cannot... I cannot put into words how fun this writing style is. And you just want to keep reading. You could easily read this book in like two sittings. Yeah. Despite it being, it is quite a long book, but yeah. it, it it absolutely is engrossing. Yes. There's also a cat character. Hello. Um, so Hi, Calliope. Calliope. And that's very important. Not enough books with cats as characters. <laughs> um, but it just like beyond just kind of like, the queer element to it it's so it's about differences and compassion and walks of life and not judging and you know there's kind of a theme in the book that you know everyone is more than the sum of their parts and it's so true i mean we've kind of touched on this a little bit but you know we've our society is so obsessed about image and you know how somebody looks and really uh, a being's physical body should be the least interesting thing about them, right? So you have a great example of that with these characters that are not humans, but they are people. Um, and they're also children, and they will worm their way into your heart. Worming, like a rotten apple. <laughs> okay. I have to keep it a little dark. Um, and and I'll, I'll say one other thing, and you know... We may completely we may completely break this in the spoiler section, but I'm going to say that if you know everyone likes to pick a favorite character, you know a favorite house. If we go back to oh, the sure. book that was written by no one ever. Oh yeah, but I mean you could get that with the Game of Thrones, a high yeah. fantasy, yeah, a favorite. I challenge you to pick a favorite I in this one. book. I, I mean, <laughs> I think everyone is drawn to somebody, but there. For me, there is no there is no favorite. I love them all. Yes. I would I would I would put myself in front of a bullet for any single one of the characters in this book. I agree. I absolutely agree. But um yeah, but I do have a favorite. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it because we're gonna talk about the fun little nitty gritty parts. Yeah. Um and some beautiful, beautiful, profound lines of writing too in this book. And this is one of those books that I, I I want to point out. Like a lot of our listeners, you may be saying, "Oh my gosh, the two of you are only getting, only now just getting to this book." And on the other hand, I think there's a there is not as much buzz about this book as I think. I think it depends where you look because in, in the places where I look, this has a lot of buzz. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of people that don't know about this book yeah. who who I think should have. And I think you and I are are two of those people. Well, and I think a part of it is because we do feel that this is a mass appeal book. Mm-hmm. It's like we want to hear coworkers talking about this. We want to hear like our mom talking about this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like it's like that. It should be like that. So um if you have 
if you've if you've read this, spread it like wildfire. And if you haven't, read it. Please, 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 please doing? read it. What are you doing with your life? The, the hardest of recommendations I think I have ever given on this show. It's pretty hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's pretty hard. It's a pretty hard recommendation from your genre junkies. And once you've read it, please just uh enjoy the spoiler section with us because we cannot wait to talk about it hey bookworm buddy don't forget subscribe rate and review and while you're at it find us on instagram at genre junkies hey genre junkies welcome to the spoiler section for the house and the cerulean sea um okay i mean if you're here I'm going to tell you, you better have read the book because <laughs> yeah. we really love it and we don't want to talk about spoilers. I will say- Did you hear? I will say one thing before you go on. And this is normally, because this is normally where we would put our trigger warnings. A <laughs> <laughs> rump. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this right now. This book handles um, some, it handles prejudices, mm-hmm. but this book is so almost- maliciously positive Mm -hmm. that any time that you would that in a traditional book you would see okay this is where we go into the abyss Mm -hmm. this is where things get really hurtful and hard for everyone Mm -hmm. it is handled almost immediately and beautifully Mm -hmm. and explained in a way that is that is touching and caring yes um that this is I feel it just a true hug for the soul. It is, it is, it is. And it really talks about how love and spreading love and positivity and compassion just bit by bit, person by person, heart by heart can change a lot of people. And it's, you know, and that is true. That is true. And there is, you know, there are people who, they don't want to change and they want to be prejudiced. And they kind of talk about that in here too. It, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And any form of social justice takes a little bit at a time. It really does. Um, okay. Okay. There's a nearish to the beginning. I think it's chapter eight. There is a quote that I love. Project Sal, your voice is a weapon. Never forget that. Mm. It's everything. That's everything. <laughs> um, there's like, oh my God, there's just so many little funny things. I mean, his first encounter with Talia, the gnome. Is <laughs> my first moments of laughing out loud. Yeah. She's a teenager, so she's going to be a little saucy. Plus, I think that is gnomish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, their language sounds like grumbling. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Um, thinking about my mom, who's obsessed with obsessed with gnomes so this is like i can't wait for her to read this book because you don't get a lot of like garden gnome characters yeah it's she's not like a gnome like another fantasy she's a garden no with a pointy hat and a beard the the whole the whole thing (laughs) there's another one i like god this is just a perfect example of the humor miss bubblegum the uh receptionist (laughs) yeah sounds like quite the existential crisis perhaps consider having it somewhere else So should we just talk about each little baby? Should we talk about each little baby? I think that's the best way to go about it. So this. we have Linus, who is obviously our hero. And Mr. Baker. Mr. Baker. And he has just been existing. He has his small pleasures, but he's not really living. 
he's just existing. And I think that that is a trap that is very easy to fall into. Um, and, and he's not thriving. I think, I think a lot of our listeners are the creative types. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're, and they're doing things for themselves. And, and I think that all of us can still see a part of us mm-hmm. in Mr. Baker. Yes. I felt a little called out at times. <laughs> you With know, rules and regulations? Yeah. I felt a little called out. I am a little bit of a rules follower. I work in a job that is, a, that is very much about the rules and regulations. I have creative outlets in genre junkies, in spooky slumber party, and in the cult show, um, as well as you know hobbies like gardening and stuff like that. Mickey I, I, yeah, um, but even the sunflowers, right? Yeah, with his sunflowers out front, I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like his hobby is listening to music, yeah, and growing a tiny little garden. I'm like growing God. like four sunflowers. I'm like, oh man, that's come on. <laughs> Why do you gotta read me that? Why do you gotta why do you gotta read me like that? Well, yeah, no, you're you're much more full of life and color. Of than course. That. Of much course. more. But I think we've all been in situations where we're just existing. Oh, of course. There's sometimes where it's probably a survival mechanism, I think, for most of us, and then you kind of get stuck in that place, you know, is kind of a way to look at it. Um, but he is brave and he does not like injustice. And um, I, I love that we focus a lot on this book about the um, the magical creature aspect and the fact that, like, he's gay is not even it's not an issue for anybody. It's I, like yeah. I, and it's wonderful because it's like, OK, we've surpassed this and we're talking about the magical creature aspect. I mean, even his mean neighbor, Miss Clapper, like, she's I like trying to set up. up with her yeah, but she's like, but you're not really good enough for him. But I don't know, maybe he'll settle. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just really nice. Um, I mean, obviously, being a queer person is still an issue for many people because of acceptance and you know all, all of that stuff. But it's sometimes really nice to read where that's not their struggle. It's just normal. Yeah. I I can and I can definitely imagine in a way why I mean I okay and I know why that's important you know we read a lot of horror so we so horror is um is very much focused around struggles yes and it's you know not always about that but that that you know that is the focus and and fantasy I I I like fantasy where the struggle is the world and the struggle you know, if there if there's a struggle to be had, it is mm-hmm. it is the world, and it's not the things that we are. We are right, and there's a part of this that is what we are because of the oh, absolutely. Thing. But it's nice it's nice to have a break from the real world, e- exactly, because that's a real world struggle. Whereas being a magical creature is unfortunately doesn't seem to be <laughs> accurate, <laughs> much to my chagrin. Lies. Lies. I lies. hope it's all lies. That's what, that's what that's what big normies want you to. That's think. That's what big normie wants you to think. Arthur Parnassus. Uh, he's lovely. He is lovely. He is fatherly and caring. He's and protective. Like, he's what every like everyone wants their dad to be. Yeah. Yeah. Is him. Oh, and he's a phoenix. Probably the last one. I know. And he went through hard things. <laughs> <laughs> he's lovely. 
And I love he and Linus together. I think they're a wonderful couple because they balance each other out a lot. Yes, they do. And um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Zoe, the island sprite. Zoe is is everything. She's perfect. She's perfect. And oh my God, her and Helen though. Oh, I know. That, <gasps> that came out of left field. And I'm like, you know what? I like that. I, I like, like that it. a lot. I like it a lot. No, uh, Zoe, Zoe is so wonderful because it's so it's so easy to have a character like that, a caretaker character, right? Mm-hmm. And that and um that's that's kind of their whole bit. And she's so vulnerable. She yeah. makes herself so vulnerable. And you know, like when she led the children to her home and it was explained like how big of a deal that was i cried that was probably my first cry of the book of which there were many (laughs) oh i did cry i did cry at this book i did cry at this book especially the end real tears i saw them the the end was real tears yes the rest of it was the patented santa cry (laughs) (laughs) where there's where the tears are sitting right behind the eyes yeah they well but they don't fall. Um, I uh, I like that she's a very powerful, powerful character, but she's trying to find a balance between using her magic to kind of, you know, be scary and threatening and, you know, like, because to like the townspeople and also trying to find a way to just be living and existing without having to be, you know, because she's a very powerful creature. But, you know, she doesn't have to rely just on that she's trying to grow and she has a small redemption arc in the story too and this is where we get to see some elements of forgiveness between you know her and arthur which is really um really cool and it's the type of forgiveness that she's done it and she's put in the work and she's really making it better than you you know what i mean yeah and she forgiveness for forgiveness sake but she's not doing it out of guilt She's doing it yeah. because she like like yes, she made a decision based on a, based on a, a regret and that was to help Arthur. Yeah. But she made that decision, but she's not continuing it out of guilt. She's not continuing it out of a sense of of um obligation. Right. She 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 discovered something in herself. Yes. Um just yeah, exactly, and it's really beautiful. And she's con- and she's got a lot of purpose to her life now. Instead of just hiding away, she's she's out there and she's doing things. Um, okay, let's talk about Talia. So the gnome. I if I were to pick, see, it's hard. Yeah, it's you, hard because no, I'm thinking I'm thinking the, about like four other characters now. But that you I love, love to garden. I love Talia so much. Yeah. I love how. <laughs> I love the 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 juxtaposition between um her her gardening and her care for the earth and her excitement over tools and things like that and her um murderous threats. <laughs> she's not she's not fucking around. She's absurdic and um I, she's funny. God, she's so funny. She provides a lot of the humor in the book. I love when she's so sweet though. Like one of the things she bonds with Linus about is that they're both round. Yes, and like like, it's not bad to be round, and it's like, and it's like real big, like fist in the air energy. Yeah, Um, no, she's she's seen some stuff. They've all seen some stuff, and she like when the little girl and the mom spits at her, and you know that whole thing. But she carries on very well. She has like you know 
And I think it's because she's one of the, like I said, she's like a teen. She's slightly older. Character. Yeah, she, she's, and you know, she does not take on like a, a teen's responsibility with the crew either. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's still not just a kid. She's not put in a position where she has to like care for the other children, no, which God. I really appreciate about this yes. book is none of them are made responsible for the others. Yeah, they have like a buddy system. And, and it's like, and they're like responsible for building each other up, and that's really about it. And that's how it should be. Or ramping each other up in the case of her buddy, <laughs> which we'll get into in a moment. Oh my god! Okay, uh, Fee, who's our young sprite. Fee probably has the least screen time, as <laughs> yeah. it were. But the she's still great. But the parts that she um, stars in mm-hmm. are some of the most beautiful. Yeah. moments very profound stuff when she when she grows a linus flower <laughs> um oh. i mean it comes right after my first cry big cry yeah and it's because of how much it touched linus yes it was it was the first point when he really ex- just just accepted the beautiful thing in front of him. Yes. You know, even like he had dreamed his whole life of seeing the beach and seeing the ocean. And even like all of that was like kind of spoiled by his, his anxiety and his uh, adherence to the rules. Like he didn't allow himself to enjoy any of that because he was there for a job. But that flower is the first moment when he's just like, this is beautiful and meaningful. There's yeah, that in, um, I can't remember if it's the same scene no, it's before that when um he goes to the he takes off his like well he doesn't take off his shoes but he's like on the beach with Zoe and they just are kind of quietly enjoying it. But even but even yeah. that he he wanted to take off his shoes. But he didn't. But he didn't. Yeah. And so then it was kind of like that was the first one and then this is when he like goes all the way in and that's because Fee gets him there. Yeah. Um Sal the weird Pomeranian. <laughs> he's also okay. like a teen and he's kind of going through it. Um, something about this book is like that, that synopsis, it makes it sound, um, like so silly, like almost, almost, uh, hitchhiker's guide levels of silly. Yes. Sal is so like, you want to protect him. Yeah. My, my, my soft scared baby. He's, he's a sweet, sweet boy and he's a writer and he's brilliant and he's been, I mean, they've all been abused, but his abuse has been kind of the most detrimental. Um, I mean, Fee had to go through, I mean, oh, Jesus, basically, you know, being put in a refugee camp and being cut off from food, watching her mother die. Yeah. That's horrifying. But, um, Sal, it's he was like beaten. He was he was beaten, and then I mean they're all verbally abused, and that's yeah. horrible, and can be just as bad or worse than physical abuse. Not trying to qualify that, but there's something about you know the way he's been struck, and then on to, and then for him to find out when he when he defended himself yeah. to find out that his bite actually causes werewolfism. Yeah, whereism. Yeah, yeah. Somebody. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot to have to deal with at a young age, and that's probably you know because he wasn't cared for and he wasn't nurtured, and they didn't you know like walk him through these things. They just were putting them in a place to just exist. And I think there's something about you know the, the fact that he turns into a pomeranian, and we all know what like a 
I hate to even say this, but you know, like that kicked dog syndrome is. Yeah. So we can really see that in his Pomeranianness and as an abused child. And it's just a double whammy, but it's not so heavy that you feel depressed going on with the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't I don't even know exactly how he does this. But when he when he explains what happened to children when they were children, uh, you know, when he explains the horrible things they went through. Yeah. He balances it almost immediately with something kind. And how they're growing and Yeah. Yeah. Um he balances it in a way like when you just said out loud on this show yeah. what happened to Fee, uh what what happened to Sal. It sounds like really dark, and it is, but it didn't hit me in a way that a story like that would typically hit me in a book. Yeah. And I think it's because there's a balance to it, like mm-hmm. you just said. Um, Chauncey. Chauncey. What a beautiful boy. What he a beautiful boy. Being taught and ingrained in his mind that he's something that should live under the bed and scare people. And now he's out and proud. For lack of a better phrase, the sweet creature wants nothing more than to be a bellhop. A simple, simple dream. And he's so good at it. He's wonderful at it. And he's going to start working at it. And he's so nervous. Yeah. I lo- He does so many funny little things, too. Like always wanting his tip. Or when they go to the, the village and he puts on a top hat and a trench coat because he doesn't want to be nude. <laughs> And it's like his disguise. Um, I'm a boy, Chauncey exclaimed. He frowned. I think you are whoever you want to be, Arthur told him, patting between the eyes. Well, first of all, I love that message. As we say here on Genre Junkies, there's a lot of ways to be a human. There's a lot of ways to be a person. And however you want to identify and get to that point is good. Goodbye, Aunt Sandy and Uncle Scott over here. And um, (sighs) Chauncey's a a beautiful example. A beautiful example. He just wants to be a bellhop. That's all he wants in the world. And and the way that Linus describes him, he's like, he has a dream and it's so small. It's so small. Yeah. But it's his dream. And when the first day he gets the hat and he's like, well, because I told him he is the greatest man that has ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> to get his bellhop hat. And you know, there's a there's a really important message in there in general that you don't. Ha- I mean, everyone always says, "Oh, dream big," and Ugh. us millennials always said, "Oh, you know," they always said to us, "You can be anything you want to be." Not true. It's not true. It's not true, kids. Um, that said, do what you want. Like, like do like be who you want, and it doesn't have to be big. Yeah, it doesn't have to be grand. Yeah, but if it is true, a, if you, I, I'm not. If you have a job that is typically considered to be lesser than or blue collar or anything and you enjoy it, you're good at it and you like it. Great. Yeah. Awesome. You don't need you don't you don't you don't need to be more than you want to be. Yes. And, you know, it's more of that thing, too, of like more. I don't even like to say more. I don't even like to say, oh, you don't you don't need to be more than you want to be. Yeah. Be. Be what you want to be. Well, yeah, be what you want to be. And it's more of the theme of you're more than the sum of your parts. You're more than your job. You're more than Linus. You're more than this. You're more than that. You're more than a creature that doesn't look like a person that is kind of gelatinous, perhaps from the sea. (laughs) Um, You know, you're you're more than that. Uh, 
I love, like I said, his little polite cough he does when he wants a tip. And it's like, okay, you can't get a tip every time. You don't get tips for compliments. Yeah, you don't get <laughs> tips for compliments. And I love how encouraging they all are of him. And of course, when Linus Fritz meets him, you know, he's obviously showing some doubts about him being a bellhop. And Arthur's like, well, why not? Change happens on a small scale. It happens one person at a time. Maybe it won't happen, but maybe it will. And so it's like, See, that's a, a great way to look at it. But it's not his job to crush him. Yes. And look, it does happen for Chauncey. He does get to be a bellhop. And that's wonderful. And he's going to be the best darn bellhop in the world. He does like your laundry and stuff. Real good at it, too. I Although I guess he lost something. <laughs> he never said what he lost of Linus's, but he lost something in the wash. I also, yeah, I also love that that's one of his conditions for Linus staying. And Linus is like, if you want. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> You have to let me do your laundry. Um, I mean, little- that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I would, I would, I would almost move there just so I don't have to do my own laundry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about our little wyvern. Oh my gosh, he's a boy. He's a person. He's not. He's probably the most abstract to what we consider a human because he's a wyvern. Yeah, and they communicate differently, but he is a person. He is a boy. He speaks and he communicates and he loves and he's perfect and he has a horde and he has buttons. I, it, <laughs> <laughs> he's a struggle in a way mm-hmm. because, you know, like I, he's okay. I would say that he's the one that I myself felt almost the most prejudices for because on the one Little hand, Theodore? like, yes, because it's like on the one hand, I'm like, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of infantilizing him. I'm I'm anthropomorphizing him. I'm like, but wait, no, I'm not anthropomorphizing him because he is a human. He's a person. He is a but person. But it also feels like, you know, it's like I want to make him a pet, but he can't be a pet because he's a human. Yeah. But okay, so he's a human, but now I'm anthropomorphizing again. It's it's <laughs> in yeah. my head, this whole sort of he's thing. He's a challenge. A and at the end of the day, Oh my sweet boy, you can, you can fly up into my arms and cuddle against my neck anytime and I will yeah. give you every button in the world. Oh my god, and when he chews the button and gives it to Linus, and that's his precious cried. button. Right. That is his precious copper button. Another Oh, big I cried. Cry. Yeah, I cried big that. Cry. Because it's so beautiful and and there's a lot of his mannerisms are very puppy like, um which I think is part of the, you know, like uh, uh, you know, like but he's a person and you know like the way he's like hiding under under the couch and his little tail is sticking out. out but and i love the way he'll like drop down from the ceiling like ah. <laughs> <laughs> his little tongue out too um yeah his horde it's like his secret his treasure it's under the couch um and then he lives in the attic as well um no it's it's so it's so sweet and like you know they say like he's a person and he does all the persony things but it's a little more in the abstract than it is specifics and i think that's a great way to look at it because again he's not gonna be humanistic like the others are he's his own thing he's his own person and so he's not gonna be you know kind of that human shaped thing um now i must talk about Calliope, my second favorite, wonderful depiction of a cat. I love that she loves Sal. So I I, I started this book before Sandra did, and I finished after mm-hmm. multiple reasons. But immediately I said, Sandra, there's a character in this book that you are absolutely going to adore. And I think she thought I meant someone different. But when she started, she's like, oh, Calliope. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, cat. Perfect. 
perfect cat. She's a wonderful kitty cat. Um, you know, cats are usually either described as being like incredibly loving or completely independent. Yeah. And Calliope shows that no, Bull. they are they're kind they they are individuals themselves. They react to their environment. They react they react to their person's moods. Yeah. And you know, um and and you know, I love I love Calliope. I love, I love Calliope. her. She's wonderful and she she um shows so much compassion to Sal and that really opens the door for for more compassion to come flooding in. Now we must talk about my actual favorite, which is Lucy. Of course the of course, of course the Antichrist is my favorite. And the best example of what the book is trying to portray. He is Lucy, Lucifer. He is the Antichrist. He is some sort of <laughs> somewhat ancient being but also a six-year-old little boy um but maybe he'll bring about the end of the world maybe he won't he gets to be himself he gets to be who he wants to be and he's dark yeah he's very dark he's so dark but a lot of it's just kind of like in fun some of it's shock, it's shock factor yeah because he likes the way they look i know there's a part that you would love um that i loved too and it's when they are in the town and Lucy and Talia are uh, paired with Linus. Lucy and Talia turn their heads slowly in unison, matching smiles on their faces that sent a cold chill down Linus's spine. <laughs> the way they feed off of each other and feed into each other. And, yeah. You know, they're the two who are, you know, the have that like mischievous dark streak. Yes. And it's also really cute because it's, it's, you know, the teenager and the youngest and the the youngest yes and they they just like feed each they're other they're just so perfect um there's one of my favorite favorite lucy parts is severed heads linus asked in a strangled voice lucy sighed just representations of my enemies the pope evangelicals who attend mega churches you know like normal people have <laughs> It makes you laugh so hard because it's so good. But he is just a little boy and he's, but he's also brilliant. He's this genius. And I love that it's very like, we don't know what Lucy's going to do. We don't know what Lucy's going to become. But if he's nurtured and loved and, and, and encouraged for who he is, and he's not bad. And is given, you know, he's not role bad. models and is yeah. given freedom to grow and he loves learn his and- family he loves uh he loves his music you know it's like t-bone tj T- T- bone j bone tj max <laughs> <laughs> like he's so impressionable and in, in, in the sweetest way like like a little kid yes because he is and like and here's the, here's this big kid that i can well adult i mean yeah it's actually very cool that t-bone ends up owning the store yeah you kind of get this impression j-bone that j-bone you kind of get this impression that he's kind of like the the guy who works there he's like no yeah. he's he's the boss he's a boss yo um yeah no and they have such a great little dynamic together and it just it's kind of a nurture versus nature is the entire book right like you just gotta give people love and and compassion and encouragement and they can do wonderful things and they can be wonderful because there's obviously people who think that lucy should never have been born or that we should i mean euthanize lucy but it's like you can't he's wonderful 
You know, and the book does a very good job. I think Lucy was actually important to be in there as well because, mm-hmm. you know, your reaction to it is like, oh, oh no, they're all scared of wyverns and gnomes. Oh, what, what, you know, you know, oh, they're just scared of the unknown. They're just small minded. I mean, yeah. But, but like when you think about it for just a second, like if you found out, okay, if you found out for sure, 100%, no question, this child who's living over, yonder yeah is the actual son of satan yes i i think i think i would be a little bit prejudiced against that child it's funny too because like there's some line where linus is like well i didn't even think that like (laughs) god or any of this was necessarily real and now it's like confirmed (laughs) and but it's not you know but they don't get too hung up on. Well, no, I also like that. That doesn't turn turn into a whole um, whole thing. Religious crisis. Yeah, it's not, not a crisis of faith. It's just like okay, so that's a thing. So that's a thing. Uh, yeah, I absolutely adored Lucy. I felt so much love and compassion for him. He reminded me of the little kids that we know and love in our life, and he also reminded me of myself and all of the dark, brutal horror things that I love. <laughs> um, Big fan of the Antichrist over here. Big, big fan. And we're going to get a Yeti brother. Yes. We're going to get married and we're going to be a family and we're going to get a Yeti brother and he's going to live in the basement. Um, I just, I this this book is so beautiful. I, you know, I, I cried, like legitimately cried at so many moments. I laughed at so many more. Yeah. Um, I, I just, what are we going to score this? With. There is nothing I would change about this lovely book. Absolutely nothing. And I give it five Buddy Holly records out of five. I Can I? I I'm, I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to give it six records out of give five. All, maybe a broken one before Theodore gets a piece of it. You know, I try not to, I try not to break our, our beloved scoring system too <laughs> often. It's true. I, this, this book um, is up there for me. I, I agree. It is a contender for read of the year. Um, it's a contender for the upper. Esh- it's it's a contender for the the top ten on the bookshelf. Yeah, it's um amazing and incredible. Be right back. I need to go buy fifty million copies of it. And- this is going. This is going to be a Christmas gift. I'm sorry for all of you out there uh, who receive gifts from us for the holidays uh, that you now know what we are giving you for the holidays, but you were all getting a copy of this book. Look under your chair. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about this beautiful, brilliant and absolute heartfelt book. And I hope you loved it as much as we did. And I hope you get it into the hands of more and more people and spread the love one of us at a time to, to just have more love and compassion in this world. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. Please keep reading past your bedtime. Thank you.